welcome aboard another edition of a show to be named later. It is Wednesday, June 27th. And we are talking Syracuse football. Yes, we are talking Syracuse football with Nate Mink of Syracuse.com and the Post Standard. That'll come up in a little bit. Really good stuff with Nate about recruiting expectations for this year. And we got into a little bit of uh, sports gambling, too. He's been writing about that a little bit as uh, that could be legalized here at some point uh, in the state of New York. But we will talk about that with Nate coming up later. You don't want to miss out on that. But I did get my Phil Steele magazine this morning. It is the one football preview magazine I get. So we might as well talk some Syracuse football. We might as well dive in with the Orange for the 2018 season. And we might as well start this. Because a month from now, we're really going to be diving in. A month from now, we're really going to be thinking it's football time. Because in about four weeks, Syracuse football will be starting their fall practices. We'll be heading out to training camp. We'll be, you know... Uh, meeting with the players and the coaches and talking to all these people, and we'll, we'll bring you, obviously, tons of it on this podcast on ESPN Radio Syracuse, and, and we'll get you ready for SU football season. But getting this magazine in my hands, reading the uh, the preview that Phil Steele puts together, and quite honestly, it's, it's the best one out there. Um, it, it got me feeling like talking football today. And I want to start here. I want to start big picture with where Phil has Syracuse ranked in the Atlantic Division of the ACC going into next year, and his reasoning for it, by the way, and something he says in there. He's got Syracuse dead last in the Atlantic Division. And my first thought is, it's pretty hard for me to disagree with that. It is pretty hard for me to say, no, Syracuse will be better than last in their division. Because last year they got smacked by Wake Forest at the end. They got beaten down by Louisville at the end. They got beaten down by Boston College at the end of last season as well. So it's hard for me to come back here and say, you know what, no. They uh, they they should be ranked higher than last. They're going to do better than that. And I think that looking at this team, they return eight starters on offense. They return half their defensive starters as well. Yeah, they lose every linebacker that played last year. But they return 14 starters. That's not terrible. They'll have to make up some production at at wide receiver. They lose their top two targets. The running game was bad last year. They've got holes to fill. But you can look at this team and you can look at things that they did last year and say, you know what, maybe they'll be a little bit better. Maybe they will take that step. And here's the interesting thing I thought about Phil Steele's uh, forecast for the Syracuse Orange next year. The first thing he says when ranking them 7th in the Atlantic Division is this pick is scary. Noting that they beat number 2 Clemson, they took LSU and Miami and Florida State right to the wire on the road last year. And that's what I keep coming back to. That's what I keep coming back to with this Syracuse team. No, they're probably not very good. Yes, they have a lot of holes to fill. They fell apart at the end of last season. They're 1-15 in November combined over the last four years. 
But look at what they did last season. When you really dig into the numbers, when you really dig into what Syracuse did last year, beating Clemson and the juggernaut that is that program, taking LSU right down to the edge in Death Valley at night, playing that game in Miami, where Eric Dungy was gritty and gutty and threw those interceptions, if not for those interceptions, maybe Syracuse wins. That game in Florida State, where the Orange outgained Florida State, huge. The Orange outgained Florida State by a couple hundred yards in that game. Only to lose... Last second. They were right there in four games. In three games, I should say. And yes, they fell apart at the end. The game against Wake Forest in the Dome felt like a disaster. You could feel things slipping away. The game against Boston College in the Dome was awful. But to me, there were so many positives coming out of last year. And you watch Eric Dungy play and you think, you know what? That guy is good. If he can stay healthy, they've got something there. Obviously, the if he can stay healthy is really big because, yeah, he's played three years here and he started three years at Syracuse, but he's only played, you know, two games, two years worth of games. He's only played 24 games over three years. He has not been able to stay healthy. So you look at what they did last year and managing to play those games tight on the road against those teams, right? Even in a down year for Florida State. Managing to play those teams tight in those stadiums, in those venues. A Miami team that was great last year. LSU team that is, you know, LSU in Death Valley at night. And you managed to take them all down to the wire. Oh, and by the way, you beat Clemson. You beat the defending national champions. You beat a team that only lost to Alabama last year. It's hard not to say that there will be major takeaways from that this upcoming season. It'll be hard to say that You know, Syracuse won't benefit this year from what they did last year. That they won't be a better team because they went through that last year. Because I think they will be. They bring back 14 starters who went through those games, who experienced those games. Now, does this mean they're going to finish better than 7th in the Atlantic Division? I don't know. Which is why I look at that prediction and I say, you know what? I can't disagree with it. I can't disagree with putting them last in the Atlantic. Because the running game was still questionable. The defense did fall apart. Defense allowed 150 points over the last three games. 160 points over the last three games. You can't be doing that. So it's hard for me to say, yeah, they'll be better than last year. But looking at the results and looking at the games before Eric Dungy got hurt, there were 
clear and obvious, tangible steps forward taken by this program. Defense was better. The offense was moving, right? You were playing at a good pace. And you were playing good teams competitively. And I think that's what you want right now. You want to play teams competitively. And yeah, maybe it's not enough to just pick up one win over a big team each year. Maybe you want more than four wins. And I totally understand that. But I don't know going into next year whether they will be better record-wise. And obviously we will talk about it more as the season progresses and as the season gets closer. But it's a big year for the Orange as we look at 2018. Year three for Dino Babers. And I think this is an interesting stat. Dino Babers now back-to-back four and eight seasons. He was an assistant under Art Bryles at Baylor, and they went four and eight, four and eight. And in year three, they went seven and six. Year three was that breakthrough year. At a Power Five conference with a program that hadn't been very good in a while, year three was that breakthrough. The Big 12 was really good when they took over at Baylor, and they managed to turn it around. And so I'm curious. We heard so much last year, right, about week four to six, year, year two, week four to six, year two, and how that was the point at which everything was supposed to come together and blossom. And maybe, just maybe, and I think we asked this last year, maybe you needed to factor in for the competition level, maybe you had to factor in for the talent that was on the roster, and things would take a little bit longer here at Syracuse in the ACC. Much the way that I'm sure they did at Baylor. And it took until year three. And year three was the year of the breakthrough. Plus 500 going to a ball game. So maybe that's what happens here. Maybe Syracuse gets to six wins and gets to that bowl game. For the first time since Terrell Hunt and the Texas Bowl, how long ago does that feel? That feels like forever ago. That feels like another lifetime. And then from there, you can really start thinking of what's next. But I do think a bowl is the first step. I don't think it's out of the question this year, but there are certainly steps that are going to need to be taken in order to get there. And I think that last year gave you a lot, a lot of building blocks. So obviously we'll talk more Syracuse football as, uh, as the season grows closer. We'll dive in, obviously, fuller in, in you know August, and the season will start up Labor Day weekend. We do have a conversation coming up with Nate Mink. Uh, great stuff coming up out of Nate uh, about recruiting. Syracuse had a huge recruiting weekend recently. Uh, we get to some of the stuff with expectations and, and Phil Steele's projections and, and some others that are coming up, uh, coming out for the 2018 season. 
And then we talk a little bit about sports betting and sports gambling and where that stands in New York because he was writing about that recently as well. So stay tuned for Nate Mink and that conversation. But first, let me remind you to listen to The Daniel Baldwin Show all summer long. Be caller number 10 when prompted to call and you will register for a UPS happy hour party for your office at Shaughnessy's Pub in the Marriott Syracuse downtown. This month's party is coming up later this week. We've told our winner already, but don't worry. You can win it for next month. It's brought to you by UPS and ESPN Syracuse. You get to go hang out with Daniel Baldwin, the crew from that show, Paulie, Josh, and uh, enjoy some pretzel puffs. Enjoy uh, some beverages. I-, I think that's the way to go at the Marriott Syracuse downtown. Uh, I highly recommend the pretzel puffs. That's for sure. Uh, but go check that out uh, and listen to The Daniel Baldwin Show for your chance to register. Now back to a show to be named later and our conversation with Syracuse.com's Nate Mink. All right, now as promised, we bring in Nate Mink from Syracuse.com, the Post Standard, to talk some SU football. Nate, thanks so much for uh, for the time this afternoon. I, I think that uh, anytime we could talk SU football in June and, and uh, you know try and get a bearing on the season, it, it's a good thing. I want to start with recruiting, though. Um, I'm not somebody who focuses all that much on recruiting. I see the names pop up, but uh, this past week and and the past two weeks have really caught my eye. They've gotten a lot of commitments in this last 10, 12, 14 days. They got four recently, um, and if you want to go back to to Father's Day weekend on the 14th, they got a a fifth um, back then with Anthony Redd, an offensive lineman from Connecticut. But a lot of the sort of the recruiting flurry – really happened this past weekend when they had uh, a few kids up for official recruiting visits. Of course, this is the first year that the NCAA now allows uh, players to take official recruiting visits in the spring and early part of the summer before you were only allowed to have these, these types of visits after your senior year started in the fall. Um, So the, the timeline got sort of accelerated by a few months here and, as a result, uh, more kids are, are now a little bit more uh, likely to, to settle on a school and, and commit, um, knowing that in December now you can you can sign a binding letter of intent. So you saw four kids sign this past weekend, uh, a couple defensive backs from Florida and a, a tight end from outside Philadelphia down in Pennsylvania. And uh, even before that, they had a kid from Canada, a, a linebacker who had camped the previous week uh, on campus at Syracuse. So um, I think uh, the, if you're looking for a name uh, that sort of highlights uh, the whole weekend, I think you start with Neil Nunn. Uh, he's about a six foot, 5'11 safety from down in South Florida, uh, had an impressive offer sheet, and Syracuse was able to you know, procure his commitment. Um, Nick Monroe, the secondary coach, actually the safeties coach now, uh, was the primary recruiter as he as he has been for a lot of these South Florida prospects. Um, so they got none up on campus, and uh, he was the player that they had been targeting for a while. And this sort of was a formality, just getting them up on campus and uh, just sort of dotting T's and cro- or, uh, dotting I's and crossing T's, and and things became official uh, early. Yeah, you mentioned none. He had offers from Alabama, Georgia, Nebraska, Auburn, and Miami. Uh, yet he comes up here to to Syracuse and and to pluck him out of uh, what is a recruiting hotbed I, I think has to be a, a major win and I, I guess with somebody like that the 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 argument the pitch is playing time to come up to Syracuse 
Yeah, I think I think so, but but also just you know familiarity and 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 comfort. I mean, I think that goes a long way in a lot of these recruiting battles. You know, sort of the bond and relationship that players build with members of the coaching staff and member of the recruiting department. Um, I think in some cases it means more to a lot of players. Um, you know, I think obviously when you when you're able to pull a kid like Nunn out of South Florida, you know, the expectation that he holds and that and that the coaches hold for him is that he is able to contribute right away. Um, you know, some, some of these other schools that, that offered him and that you show up on it, on his list, you know, you know, recruiting such a, a dicey game, um, you know, you never really know, um, you know, how, how hard a school is recruiting a certain kid anymore, right up, especially as we get closer and closer to the season and in December when the signing period opens up, um, but that's not to, to take any anything away from, you know, the job Syracuse recruited. I mean, if anything, it shows that at some point in time, all those schools had an interest in none and felt that he could contribute into their program. Um, so if anything, that sort of just validates the evaluation uh, that Syracuse did on none. And, and uh, you know, that they were able to land him, I think, uh, you know, speaks to the job that Coach Monroe did uh, with him and his family and, and his sort of his handlers down there in South Florida. Um, and just building up that relationship and building up that trust. You know, early playing time, I think, you know, as, as we've seen, uh, if you can play uh, as a freshman, you are going to play as a freshman. Um, and that doesn't matter whether it's a school like Syracuse or, as we saw in the national title game, you know, Alabama and Georgia played a lot of true freshmen. And that's especially true, I think, going forward as well with the new redshirt rule that went into effect, that goes into effect this year, where now you can play a true freshman in up to four games and still have that fifth year of eligibility um, to dangle in front of him. No longer do you have to worry about, you know, playing a kid for 15 or or 20 snaps uh, in his freshman season and then worrying about him burning a year and losing a year of eligibility. So I think, you know, the, the prospect of pitching early playing time just in general, I think almost uh, it, it, the, disincentivizes it a little bit just because uh, of that new redshirt rule that, that goes into effect this season. Yeah, you know, about that redshirt rule, I, I know, and, and I'm curious your thoughts, and, and then we'll get back to recruiting, but, uh, you know, I know my first thought was, hey, Tommy DeVito could have played last year when Eric Dungy got hurt. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that, and what, what were your first kind of thoughts when you saw that rule come down? I think overall it, it's good for the game. I think, um, you know, how – Certain schools will choose to implement that rule. I think will just be unfast will be fascinating to sort of see it play out because it's the first year, it's new. There's no really hard data uh, of how this works, and and maybe there's, there's there's not sort of proven there's not a proven way or proven preferred method for how to implement it. Um, but you know, speaking specifically in, in Syracuse's case, I mean, I think it just helps out, and and that's true for a lot of other programs. Um, it just helps out. I think in in building up that overall depth, you know, particularly in the back half of the schedule um, when bodies are a little bit more beat up, um, when starters are, are um, sort of have gone through that wear and tear. Now, if, uh, you know, if there's a significant drop-off between a starter and a backup, um, before when you had uh, a freshman you really liked but wanted to redshirt him, um, you had to kind of hold him back and not be able to play him. Now, as the, as the season grinds on and uh, you have a, you have these, this four game window that you can play a kid um, you can do that and, and maybe not 
have as big of a drop-off between your starter and whoever that backup is now. So I think it just helps build up overall depth. Um, but but I would just caution on on sort of, you know, the impact this can maybe have on roster building. I think it has a much, much greater impact on roster management just in terms of in-season, but in terms of building your roster, and this kind of goes back to the point I made uh, a little bit earlier, is that I don't know if this necessarily, you know, helps Syracuse bring in a higher caliber player um, just because, you know, now a school like Clemson and Florida State, they can equally say to a kid um, who maybe is talented in Syracuse is recruiting, okay, well, still come to us. You can still get on the field as a true freshman. Even though we have Trevor Lawrence as our quarterback um, or Kelly Bryant as our quarterback, you know, still you can still come to our program. We'll get you in a few games and, and see how you do get your feet wet. And, and get some good tape for you to, to, to sort of uh, build off that as you progress to our career here. That, I think, is just going to be another um, barrier, another hurdle that Syracuse is going to have to continue to fight against. Nate, getting back to some of the recruiting stuff with this year, uh, obviously the four commitments over the weekend, obviously they're not done yet either. There's the signing period in December and then obviously the big signing day in February. Uh, where does this class stack up for now as compared not – to, you know, ACC schools or, or things like that, but how does it compare, you know, to what Syracuse was doing last year or, or the previous year under Dino Babers? Well, I think the first couple of years under Dino, so much of the focus was flipping the roster over and and molding the roster um, into a team that that fit his system and 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 fit um, sort of the culture that he was he was trying to bring um, up here in Central New York. Now, so you had a lot more attrition, I think, particularly in transfers the first couple of years, and so you had a little bit more numbers to, to play around with. Um, now what I think you're going to see is you're going to see Syracuse be a little bit more selective and a little bit more patient. I don't think the class is going to be as big as you saw the, the, the first few years just because, again, um, so much of the underbelly or the underclassmen that's on the roster are players that, that – the staff recruited to develop in the system. You're still going to, I think, have some of the upperclassmen who were maybe brought in under the previous coaching regime um, or who haven't seen a lot of playing time look at other options elsewhere, as you would see um, in every program around the country, just you know, by nature of, of how rosters naturally turn themselves over. So I think you're going to see maybe a few more spots sort of naturally open up, but overall, I think just because of the small senior class that you have this year, um, you're going to have sort of a, a limited, a more limited number of, of spots that, that you're going to be able to take compared to, to previous years. Right, right. And and as we move to this year, you know, I just picked up my Phil Steele magazine this morning, and I, I'm combing through it and, and seeing some of these projections. Like, it's it's getting to time where projections come out about 2018, and uh, you know, Phil's got Syracuse last in their division of the ACC. Uh, you know, questions about the the team, obviously, that's coming back. Curious what your thoughts are on some of these early projections that we're seeing about this team. You know, I think they're fair. I think they um, are largely based on, you know, the last couple seasons and, and what other teams have coming back. Um, and I think when you put up back-to-back four and eight records, I think it's hard for a lot of national outlets to take a leap of faith and project uh, 
you know, a fourth or a fifth place finish in a conference um, where they just were last year, uh, you know, they, they finished seventh. And, you know, again, I think it, uh, you know, to, to Phil Steele specifically, because I, I picked up that, that magazine and read it, you know, he, he was a little, you know, he was a little unsure, not unsure about placing Syracuse seventh, but he called it, I think his word was scary. And I think that just speaks to the potential that Syracuse has um, to sort of move up a, a couple more ledgers in the, in the conference this year compared to where they've been um, just based on what they've shown last year and in, in a lot of close losses. And of course the big win against uh, Clemson at home. But, you know, I think again, it just speaks to the, the difficulty and the depth more than anything of the ACC. I mean, you're going to have those heavyweights um, up at the top every year, Clemson and Florida state, just by the resources they invest into the program and the recruiting territories they reside in, they're going to be contenders um, almost every season. Um, you can sort of, count on that. Um, but, but the NC States, the Wake Forest, the Boston colleges, um, even the Louisvilles, um, they have just done a much better job of slowly but surely building up their rosters under head coaches that, you know, have been at their institutions longer than Dino's been at Syracuse. And so that affords them a little bit of a head start. Um, there's a lot more comfort and familiarity on the recruiting trail. Um, they return some really, really good players, just like Syracuse returned some really good players. And so when you have all those things equal and you see, again, based on just recent history, you know, 62 to to 49 or whatever it was last year, losing to Wake Forest, 42 to 14, losing at Boston College, you know, why why should Syracuse be ranked ahead of Wake Forest or Boston College, just given all those things into consideration? Yeah, you mentioned there that that Phil uh, saying this is a scary pick, and and I think that's one of the interesting things about this team. Obviously, they beat Clemson last year. They give uh, you know Miami and Florida State and uh, and LSU really close games on on the road last year. How much do you think that factors in, and is there a carryover to this year of them saying, hey, like we beat one team that only got beaten by Alabama, and we we held these guys you know in check. In road games, do you think there's some kind of a carryover or growing process that comes out of that this year? You know, I, I think if anything, it just shows them that that they can that they can hang with any team in the country. And and I don't I think as we as that that victory against Clemson um, as we sort of continue to appreciate that more, I think it's it's it was really astounding that they were able to do that. And and you know, I dug into some some numbers this off season. Um, about spending habits at the university. And just, just, I'll throw this out to you really quickly because I found this to be uh, actually insane. Is So Clemson, according to, to um, EADA data that's um, required from all institutions to submit it to um, the federal government, um, I believe Clemson spent about 42, somewhere in the 42 to $44 million range on football-related expenses this is going back to the 2016 season, but it's the most recent data we have available, so we just have to, to look at that. Syracuse, to put that in perspective, so Clemson's at about 42 to 44 million. Syracuse is spending about, I believe, 22 million or so. So it's about half as much as Clemson's, you know, football budget, we'll call it. Um, and to put that into perspective, <laughs> there's been one ACC school uh, since 2003 that has been able to overcome a spending gap as large as 
what Syracuse is currently facing in the ACC with Clemson and Florida State. There's been one school in about 15 years that has been able to win the ACC, and that was Wake Forest back in 2006 at a time when Clemson was just beginning to get going under Dabo Swinney. I think he was in his first or second year at Clemson. And Florida State was, I believe, 7-6 and six or 6-6 six and six towards the tail end of the Bobby Bowden era. So they had some significant help in their, their ascent by having two heavyweights uh, flounder there a little bit. Um, and so I think that just goes to show you that it, it's very, very rare for you know, schools like Syracuse, Syracuse to compete with a school like a Clemson or Florida State. And the fact that they were able to overcome, and you saw it on the field pregame, Steph. I mean, the, the army of uh, analysts and staff members that were swarming the Clemson side of the field during warmups was just astounding. I mean, this was, this was, for all intents and purposes, like an Alabama coming into the Carrier Dome. And for Syracuse to win that game and win it in a, in a manner that was really decisive and, and, and dominant almost from, you know, the first quarter, the last quarter. Um, I think, you know, it, it deserves every bit of, of praise and recognition, um, as we can say, because it was, it was truly, it really should not happen in, in college football. And, you know, the fact that, it, that they did it, I think, again, carries over. Um, a lot of the guys who played in that game are back this year. They know what it takes. Um, you know, some additions that they've added to the roster this year in the form of like a Coda Martin, for instance, who played at, and started at Texas A&M in the SEC, and a Dwayne Joseph who was committed and played a little bit at Virginia Tech. I think, you know, that only adds uh, a certain veteran presence to the roster um, that they now know what to expect week in and week out into the ACC, and more importantly, the level that they have to play at and the, and the, the near-perfect execution that they need to perform. Um, to sort of achieve the goals that they want to achieve in in a major league like the ACC. Yeah, Nate, that game was remarkable last October, and and hearing you mention those numbers is is, uh, simply uh, astounding. One thing I want to get to you that is not football, I saw you wrote last week about the New York sports betting and and how there hasn't been a law yet uh, put in place. I find this really interesting, mostly because I just think there's a whole lot of money to be made when you put this, you know, when you legalize gambling and you tax it and you take a percentage of all the winnings. Like, there's just a lot of money out there. Uh, what, where does this stand with New York, and and why are people hesitant maybe to to legalize it here? So. Uh... It's it's not officially dead in New York. I mean, a comprehensive bill um, that is convenient for everyone um, is sort of in a coma for now, for lack of a better term, until about January of 2019 when the legislative session um, cranks back up again um, over in Albany. Um, So that's probably the earliest you're going to see, um, you know, state legislators be able to – work on a comprehensive bill um, that would include mobile gambling, um, you know, potential betting kiosks at, at racetracks and racinos around the state, um, things of that nature. What, what you could see still this year um, is essentially uh, sports betting under a 2013 law that would limit it to four uh, state-run casinos located in upstate New York. I believe one is... Uh, out in Schenectady, another is down in the Catskills, um, a third is in the Southern Tier, and I believe a fourth is Del Lago in, 
the Finger Lakes region. Um, but under that law, what essentially is the State Gaming Commission needs to write regulatory rules and decide how and when it wants to issue sports book licenses um, to those casinos. If they can figure that out, then you'll be able to potentially see sports betting only at those four upstate casinos, and you would have to place the bet in person at each of those four casinos. You wouldn't be able to do it online or on your phone or anything like that under the 2013 law. Now, the the the, the, the legislation and the bills that they are looking to amend um, and that they were looking to hopefully accomplish before that deadline you alluded to uh, last week would have included mobile and online betting. Um, so you're just going to have to be a little bit patient uh, if you're in New York looking to, to get into the sports betting action until about January at the earliest uh, before state legislators sort of uh, take up the sports betting bill again. But yeah, I think, you know, to your, to your larger point, there's a lot of money here. Um, it was absolutely, it was a missed opportunity for the state to get in before, you know, the start of the NFL season uh, specifically um, New Jersey, as we all know, got in early. Um, they're going to have online and mobile wagering set up, I believe, by next month, um, which is, again, before the NFL season. So, yeah, I mean, if you're in New York City, uh, your option is to cross the Hudson and go bet at uh, go bet at a casino in New Jersey or set up an online account in New Jersey, and, or you can, you know, drive 90 miles or more to one of the up, upstate casinos and, and bet it in person. And if you're in New York, I mean, it, it goes without saying you're going to just go across the Hudson and embed in New Jersey and, and all that money is going to be, you know, funneled into, uh, you know, New Jersey rather than New York. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a big miss, uh, a major hit uh, for New York to not get it done uh, before last week's deadline. But, um, you know, that, that's the way these things, these go. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the people who had questions about it, um, their intentions were good. There's a complicated, thorny issue um, in, involving the Indian-owned casinos up here in New York and the compacts that I think is just so dry that I don't know if we want to necessarily want to get into it on 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 and on this. But you know, essentially, a, a big sticking point had to do with mobile betting and and where you could place a a, a mobile bet uh, and whether that would um, break or or um, or uh, I guess interfere with with what was written in the compact agreement between the state and the Indian-owned uh, tribes. So there's some thorny issues that are legitimate issues that they need to work around. Um, but you know, like all things with with uh, politics, it just takes I think a little bit of willpower. And if they can sort of cut cut through some of the the red tape and and just sit down and put heads together and get things done, I think you know this can be here sooner or later. If not every every month or every Every day that passes, obviously, more and more people are, are betting on sports, and, and they will have more and more options as, as this is go, goes on. Yeah, Nate, maybe later in the summer we could do more on that. I, I find it really interesting, and then we haven't even gotten to, there's all these questions about whether colleges are are allowed to be bet on and, and how that affects college athletics. So there's so much going on there. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And stay tuned, because I actually have something coming out toward the end of this week um, on how this can affect colleges and, and whether there are commercial opportunities for for schools like Syracuse or other schools around the country to, to potentially cash in on, on, like you mentioned, the, the, the hordes and amount of money that um, are being bet on the, on sports. Yeah. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on that and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it again soon. Uh, Nate, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. 
All right. Thanks, Seth. Take care. All right, that does it for us today on a show to be named later. Our thanks to Nate Mink, Syracuse.com, and the Post Standard for joining me and uh, talking some football, recruiting, sports gambling, a whole bunch of different stuff. We will certainly catch up with Nate again soon and be on the uh, lookout for that piece that he is writing about sports gambling coming up uh, later in the week. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll get to our uh, Throwback Thursday movie review. Don't forget to uh, keep recommendations coming for that on the Twitter feed at Seth Goldberg 17. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a show to be named later.